Hello, welcome to the Manchester Red Podcast, brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fay, and on today's episode, we'll look back at United's gritty win over West Ham at the weekend, discuss rejuvenated Rashford, and look ahead to a must-win Europa League match against Real Sociedad later this week. Uh, United's latest win marked 85 years in succession that United have named at least one academy graduate in their first-team matchday squads. And I'm delighted to be joined by two homegrown talents of our own who have the MEM pumping through their veins, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, Samuel Luckhurst and Tyro Marshall, how are you both doing? I'm very well, thank you, Rich. I thought there was going to be a comment about our age and how we're whippersnappers yeah. or, or the opposite of whippersnappers. So you you, you did surprise me there. I yeah, I wondered where that was going. I wondered where that was going for quite a while and, and also had the same fears. <laughs> Same fear as Samuel that there might be some age-related dig, but no, we'll uh, we'll take it in the end, I'm sure. Well, the other tangent I was going to go off, which I will go off on now, is we're recording on Halloween. We didn't see any tricks from Anthony on Sunday, but we did see a treat from Marcus Rashford. Samuel, it was a gritty win, and I suppose it was a performance that divides the fan base between those who are optimists and those who are pessimists. It was a good win that, that showed the mentality, an important win that weekend as well for United, considering the drop points around them. But... Can it carry on like this? They rode their luck towards the end and some fantastic defending and goalkeeping kept them in it. Is that a good trait to have or a worrying one? Ten Hag certainly thinks so. That's what he said afterwards uh, during his post-match press conference. The United-West Ham fixture only occurred to me yesterday. That has finished uh, being played at Old Trafford. It's finished 1-0 the last five times now and United have needed a goal in stoppage time, a goal in extra time, an own goal to to beat West Ham. West Ham's position in the Premier League table at the moment is misleading. Moyes has done a very good job there. They're full of combative players. Uh, They they rested the majority of of those starters in their their Europa Conference League game on Thursday, so there was always a chance they were going to be fresher. And I think beating them 1-0 at home isn't really something that you can be snobbish about. That was always going to be a low-scoring game yesterday. It almost worked against United that they broke down West Ham in the first half because when you're sending on Scott McTominay on the hour, you're not doing it as as an attack-minded change, and especially when he's coming on for an attacker as well. I suspect that Ten Hag would have wanted to regain a form of control and put McTominay on and it might have freed up Ericsson or, or Casemiro to get on the ball more. But it really did just seem to invite trouble and United were certainly in trouble a, a few times. De Gea made a couple of brilliant saves. There were there was a key block from Maguire towards the end. Some of the defending from, from Dallow and Martinez was exceptional. So you want to have those strings to your bow. It's it's always good to win ugly. Ten Hag again, he said that, I think, on the eve of uh, the first game of the season, that if, look, if you're not playing well, you've still got to try and win, which is a very basic principle to have. And all the great teams are, are capable of doing it, by and large. And I, again, as I've said before, what one of the big positives that United have with Ten Hag as manager is that he is very critical in victory. And certainly during the game yesterday, he was far more vexed on the touchline than than David Moyes was, and and with good reason because the, the first half was was very scratchy. The, the goal was the only piece of true quality in, in in the whole of the half, maybe the whole of the game. Wonderful, wonderful header by Rashford, and you, you can never underestimate how 
aesthetically pleasing it is to see a, a pure cross go in and for it to be connected as uh, in such a full-blooded way by by a goal scorer as, as Rashford did and uh, it was a goal worthy of winning the game and United got as I said it was it was a big win that they got especially as it um, it capitalised on a couple of bad results for Chelsea and Liverpool the day before Tottenham have been wobbling of late as well but Performance-wise, of course, there's so much room for improvement, and I'm sure we'll get in. We'll get into the finer details of that. But because of the way the game ended, with De Gea making key saves, and um, I mean Maguire pretty much bailed out Fernandez with that that pass he played just aimlessly, and Maguire's putting a tackle in, and there's, there was a big roar from the crowd. Uh, it felt like a bigger win than it probably would have done had it just petered out. Yeah, like you said there, the dramatic circumstance at the end certainly made it felt like it was a more important win. Ty, before we get on to maybe too many, or maybe, maybe the tactical side of it, Marcus Rashford, I mean, we said, you know, the the academy anniversary, the 85 years of a first-team player being involved that was from the academy, he scores the goal, a brilliant goal. Uh, you spoke to him after the game. Yeah, I did, yeah. And he had no idea it was the 85th anniversary, which makes him one of the few people on earth who, who didn't know, given, um, given the song and dance United are making about it. And rightly so, to be fair, it is, you know, it is a very impressive record. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was a phenomenal header. We were kind of side on to it, not not far away from it. And you see the run-up he has on, on Tilo Kera and just the aggression and the hunger that he goes up to win that header for. I mean, Kera is not the biggest for centre-backs, but there's not many defenders that, that could have stopped him. It was it was it was a great ball from Ericsson, but a brilliant, brilliant header. And he you know, he is so much improved this season. He he really is a different player. I think you know, we all said in the summer that it felt like he was the one player. I think I've been saying it since he was appointed. He was the one player that you felt Ten Hag could have a big impact and a relatively quick impact on in terms of that that elite level coaching that we said before they've just not had at Carrington since you know, for, for all that the good that Solskjaer did do at times, he wasn't a hands-on coach. He didn't have hands-on coaches at maybe the highest level, as, as impressive as Carrick and McKenna are doing now. Ranić certainly didn't. And Rashford was you know, Rashford was, was failed by that to a degree. He'll have to take responsibility for his own failures in, in that period. But he looks back to his best now. His finishing is is still patchy. There's been times this year where he's he's not taken chances, but... He, he did say yesterday about sort of what Ten Hag's asking of him. Um, asking what he's asking of him, and it, it is fairly simple stuff about getting in the right positions to to have chances. And he is missing some, but his heading has clearly improved, and and that's something that he mentioned that they've been working on. And not necessarily the technique, but that the hunger and desire to get your head on the ball, which maybe he's not always had. I mean, he is he is relatively tall, really, but you don't think of him as being good in the air when when maybe he could be. But there have, you know, there have been improvements this season. He is United's best forward at the moment. He is their likeliest source of goals. And I, I don't know if he got man of the match on TV or not yesterday. I think he did, didn't he? He did, um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure I'd have given him man of the match to be honest. I, I don't think any of the attackers really did much in the second half. But his, you know, his improvement has been fantastic, and a lot of that has to go down to Ten Hag, but some of that has to go down to Rashford as well. And he said, I know he said this on TV as well, but he said it when I spoke to him in the mix zone about how the energy. He's just different at the club now and it, it clearly feels a more harmonious place and something might get onto as well. But Ten Hag mentions team spirit in virtually every programme notes, every press conference. You can tell he's you can tell he's huge on it. He's so big on it that I'm expecting them to go paintballing at some point as a squad and 
do bowling nights and things like that. But it's, it's clearly working when you see the celebrations and the celebrations defensively as well and, and the way the game ended yesterday. And I think part of that was the pressure they were under. But it was, um, yeah, it, it was certainly, it felt fitting, like you say, that Rashford was was the match winner for United yesterday. I guess quick quick question for both of you. Who was your man of the match then? De Gea for the saves, but I, I suppose until the Zuma save, it would have been Dallow. I think I'd have gone with Dallow. I thought Dallow and Martinez and were both very good. De Gea's massive saves. I thought Maguire was very good last half an hour as well. You're not allowed to praise Harry Maguire's tie. You should know that by <laughs> now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've, you've both mentioned it. They're the team spirit and... It feels like the fans are really buying into this as well. What Ten Hag's established, you know, there was the celebrations at full time. It is, it's like it is akin to scoring a goal, isn't it? When you've you, you, when you've rallied the storm, you've dug deep like that. And like you said, Samuel, if you're not gonna play well, you still need to win. And United are doing that. We've mentioned it before. Southampton should have been more comfortable. It wasn't. Leicester should have been more comfortable. Everton again, a game which was comfortable until the end and felt like they were holding on. But this track record of of winning ugly and seeing that there is a lot of improvement to be made, that is a positive, isn't it? And particularly the defensive side of things. What for you is, has been so impressive defensively? Is it the fact United are keeping clean sheets again now? I suppose it's the way that they've managed to remain relatively stable despite quite a lot of, not, not necessarily upheaval, but they've had to change centre-backs a lot more often than than it feels like because Varane Martinez is obviously the first choice. But we were saying again yesterday, it's it's becoming a growing issue in that area because uh, as irrelevant as they may be to Nzebi and Jones, uh, they've been unavailable all season. Maguire's been absent for four weeks. Varane has had two injuries already and is going to miss at least, what, three weeks of the season. Uh, given that he's not going to play again before the World Cup. Lindelof has had uh, a, a couple of layoffs, uh, including this one he, he missed yesterday through through illness. And all of a sudden, Ten Mengi is, I think, third-choice centre-back available to Ten Hag at the moment. And on Saturday, it was his first 90 minutes in, in eight months because of the injury issues he's had. So it's been just as well that Martinez has been, again, credit to him, He's been the glue in, in a lot of ways in that he's he started every Premier League game. I mean, the only game that he's not started all season for United was against Sociedad. His importance is such that everyone knows he's going to start against Sociedad on Thursday because he came off at half-time against Sheriff last week. There was a pretty pointless question asked of Ten Hag yesterday as to whether he would switch Maguire back to the left side of, cent- of uh, central defence. And I just thought they've spent £55 million on the left-footed centre-back who started every Premier League game, I'm pretty sure they're not going to move him to the right or left-back or defensive midfield. But anyway, Martinez has been one of the signings of the season so far. Uh, Dallow, there have been justifiable doubts about him in recent years, certainly his first two years, maybe three years at United. But he, he's really starting to... We, we said it before, and, and Ty, I think, made, made mention of it, how as, as stereotypical as, as it is to think of a Latino defence as ultra-aggressive ultra aggressive and ultra-combative, that is what United have got. And yeah, they're, they're better that way as well. They've been much better than last season. And although the, the flavour of it has changed in, in recent weeks, the English contingent has returned to it. Luke Shaw's had a very good few weeks. And Maguire obviously was kind of parachuted into the team. Um, 
yesterday, I think it's fair to say, just going off Ten Hag's tone, that Lindelof would have started if he was if he was available. But although Maguire had a very, very poor, I'd say, you know, a forgivably rusty first 45 minutes, given that it was his first Premier League start since August 13th, in the last 20 minutes, uh, I thought he was he was very good. When when it just came down to the the basic defending, he excelled at that. Like if a ball came in, he would head it away. He would clear the ball. He'd get a block in. There was that sliding tackle right at the end. And I mean, it wouldn't yesterday, yesterday or last season when he makes that sliding tackle and Rice has a shot, it probably goes in the top corner because that's how his luck could go sometimes. And that would have been through no fault of his own. But there were a couple of incidents yesterday with the block from Bowen's shot, which I'm pretty sure was going in, and that challenge from uh, that challenge from Maguire at the end. I can't remember who, which West Ham player it was on, but the raw it listed as well would have done him the power of good because there was all that pantomime act in midweek of, of a minority of fans clearly booing him. But I was always confident. I think everybody knew that when it was going to come to a Premier League match day, where essentially. The, the kids are not going to be present because people want to go and watch a Premier League game rather than watching FC Sheriff in the, in the Europa League. You knew it was going to be a more um, more supportive and, and, and a more adult crowd, I suppose. And, and that was the case. So that, that would have done him the power of good. And yeah, I think only Pope and Edison have kept more clean sheets in the Premier League this season than De Gea. And he had a very, very shaky start not just in the Brentford game, but the Brighton game as well. I think his his errors were, were being picked up on um, in that one. And still, although he has got limitations to his game, I think there's there's still probably not a goalkeeper in the world that you'd want if you were you know, firing a football at, at the speed of an exocet because he's, he's still the likeliest to save it. Exactly. It comes down to your preference of what you look for in a goalkeeper, doesn't it? If, if the job is just to keep the ball out of the back of the net, then David De Gea... Well, he'd be in my 55-man World Cup squad, let's put it that way. Um, Ty, in terms of the selection, then obviously Lindelof missed out for illness. Anthony had this slight knock. So Maguire, that's why he came in, as Samuel said there. Elanga came in up front. Elanga made some good movements. Ten Hag praised him after the game, speaking to Swedish media, but the end product was a bit rusty. You can I put that down to the fact he'd not played much or the fact that maybe he doesn't have that quality yet. But in terms of United squad depth then... I mean, it must be, again, another positive that they've managed to win without you know, Varane, without Lindelof, without Anthony. But do you have any concerns about maybe the lack of meaningful depth? Um, n- not hugely. I think a lot of it is down to injuries. Um, you know, when, you, when you think of the forward line and Anthony and Martial missing yesterday, Sancho is clearly out of form. It, it did become an issue for them. And, and I think that's understandable. If you've got two forwards out injured, and another one really struggling for form, then you know there's only so much depth you can have. You can't have a seventh forward at the club necessarily who's happy to play that seventh role and, and be of the same level. It's just not going to happen. It, it felt pretty telling that you know when when I don't know when Ten Hag told Sancho he wasn't playing, but if he told him before Anthony's injury that he wasn't going to play at the weekend, and then Anthony got injured, I think it's safe to say Sancho would have thought I've got a reprieve here. The fact he then went for a langer felt pretty telling that this was a message to Sancho to, you know, you have, you have not been good enough. And clearly he, he was hooked pretty early last week as well. And then when Alanga came off and McTominay came on, you know, it, it was it was not a good afternoon for, for Jaden Sancho. As much as we talked about Rashford impressing under Southgate, I think, I mean, I, I 
you know, there's, I think there's every chance Sancho's not even in that 55-man squad because he just doesn't seem to he doesn't seem to be flavour of the month for England, and he's just he's not played well enough recently after that that bright start. Um, so you know, there's there's a lot of injuries at the moment. It's difficult to carry that depth across the board. I think when you look at that squad, I think there is pretty much two players for every position, maybe with the exception of right back. Wambasaka's had an odd slash non-existent season, really. You'd have thought he'd play in the Europa League, but obviously he's been injured. He's back in training now, apparently, but he wasn't in the squad. Beyond that, I think they've roughly got two players for every position. You might want a bit of an upgrade in, in certain areas, but I, I think it is there. And it's, you know, it's, it's not ideal that they have this many injuries. And when you looked at it yesterday, I looked at it and I thought there is not a lot there to change a game going forward. If you bring Sancho on, he looks low on confidence at the moment, and he was the only real game-changing attacking substitution. Palestri's not played in the Premier League. As bright as Garnacho was on Thursday, this is a different level. It's several different levels for him. So it was one they just had to to scrap through, and they got there. They got there in the end. But the you know the injuries are a bit of an issue at the moment. We don't we don't know how long Anthony's going to be out for. It doesn't sound like it's going to be too long, but they could certainly do with a couple back before the World Cup. One piece of sort of team news already for next weekend, then, as well as Bruno Fernandes suspended for that game against Villa. Samuel, out of the sort of current makeup of the midfield, how would you go about replacing him for that trip to Villa Park? Yeah, probably Fred Casemiro and Ericsson further forward. It, it will be interesting to see how they get on with without Fernandes because I don't necessarily think he will be as great a miss as, as, as some, some others might think. Um, I think, I mean, certainly at the start of the season when we were discussing how United would play under Ten Hag, Fernandez did seem somewhat out of kilter with what Ten Hag would want from uh, the playmakers or the, the midfielders. And certainly when Casemiro signed, I thought Casemiro, Fred, Eriksson was probably the best and most balanced three. You, you, you've pretty much got a six and an eight and a ten there. And the six... Is, is probably one of the best passers from midfield, um, just or, or one of the most underrated passers still in the game. Uh, when 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 he was at Madrid, Casemiro obviously playing alongside Cruz and um, Modric, one of the best midfield threes in, in certainly my generation. You're you're going to be in the shadow of, of those two, but he's his passing is is terrific. Fernandez's passing is not terrific. It is it is the opposite. He can create something out of nothing. Uh, he has done many times for United, and that's won them points. It's uh, It's been vital. But I think it was just before Rice had that shot at the end. The pass he played in field, I, I, I just can't understand how a player as talented as he is, playing at that level, doesn't think just to play the ball down the line to Fred, who was to probably 73,000 people there the only option and yet he has it in his mind that it's the 90 what 92nd 93rd minute i'm going to larrap it infield and try and pick out someone and of course he doesn't pick it out he turns um attack into defense and it wasn't the first time he did that yesterday uh i don't think it's a coincidence that he's his performances against uh, against sheriff and and west ham were worse than the, the Chelsea and, and the Tottenham games with Ronaldo back in the team 
I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I wrote about that, that Fernandez is, you know, certainly has reservations about playing with Ronaldo, which doesn't exactly all go well for Portugal going into the World Cup. because they've not got too much of a choice. But I think since it's actually, since I've actually been informed of that, when you actually watch him with Ronaldo, it's, it's difficult to see where his impact is going to come from. And they linked up brilliantly a few times last season. And when they did link up, it was it was wonderful. The, the goal at the first equaliser against Atalanta, the, I think it was the volley at Tottenham. Fernandes played a, a lovely, like a banana curve pass for Ronaldo against young boys. But I think that those were the only three occasions. And they all came in uh, September and October, I think or maybe a bit early in November. But anyway, they came in like the first first third of the season. So there's not a great telepathy between them. And Ronaldo, I thought, was was pretty decent yesterday until he got it towards or in the penalty area, at which point you know, all, all manner of composure deserted him. But Fernandes was the one that really suffered. And and again, we've, we've said this in, in previous games as well, most, most infamously, I suppose, in the derby. The, the attack was the problem yesterday. They were playing a completely different tune to the previous week at Chelsea and against Tottenham with the attack half changed. They were almost unrecognisable. And when you go back to that Chelsea game, it was pretty much three forwards playing because Sancho was anonymous. He, he had no impact whatsoever. Yet with Casemiro and Eriksen playing as brilliantly as they were for the first 35 minutes or the first half, and the other forwards looking quite threatening in general, and those two opportunities Fernandes created, it was much more aligned with what Ten Hag would want. But I don't think you can always pin the blame on Ronaldo starting. And Fernandes has just got to get over it. And he's certainly got to refine his, his passing methods because it was a problem at times on Solskjaer and it was it was called out quite early as well, I think. It was, it was noticeable that there were games in maybe the the 20 2021 season where he would because his numbers were so uh high that you they were always masking his his performance level and nobody was complaining about his performance level then but of course they were last season when the numbers dropped drastically but he is still a moments player and ten hag does not want that from 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 his from his united that's why ericsson has been so good and we all knew that Ericsson was going to be pivotal yesterday because United are up against an obdurate defence who have not conceded many Old Trafford in recent years, as said, low-scoring game. And of course, he's the one who, who gets the assist. And yeah, Fernandez had a contribution in that. It was a lovely cushion uh, chest into Ericsson's path that allowed him to put that cross in. But I, I, I would be fascinated to see if, if Ericsson does indeed start behind whoever the front man is at Villa how they get on. And I think that it's got to be Fred and Casemiro, but you, you suspect that the Sociedad game might have a bearing on it because Ten Hag is going to play a strong side in that one. Uh, I mean, the, the thought of Donny van der Beek making a, a meaningful Premier League start on Sunday, I, I still think feels rather fanci fanciful and I, I wouldn't particularly advise it either. Um, he, he did all right when he came on against... FC Sheriff, but let's face it, it's FC Sheriff, and it's it's, it's still rather remarkable the sheer the sheer adoration that um, some United fans uh, show show towards him. It's almost a bit of a throwback to Solskjaer's final days when, as, as Ty said, he was this core celebre because he just wasn't getting picked. But I, I just I, I don't think he's 
he's, he's up to it. Unfortunately, he just looks like Davy Class and Mark too. Yeah, and there's got to come a point where you know he either has just moved on or they, they, they repurpose him. There's got to be some some harsh decision made on him. Ty, we mentioned before that you know it was a pivotal weekend for United and they had to had to win given the results of Saturday. We saw Liverpool lose, we saw Chelsea lose, Tottenham won, not very convincingly, but they did win. City and Arsenal still the two pace setters in the Premier League. United's own ambitions this season then. We all said that top four would be a success. It still would be, but you know, United now, do you think they've got to almost up their targets? The minimum target was top four. I mean, what, what can the maximum be now? Because you have to say they could finish third in the Premier League. Mm, yeah, 100%. I think third is is definitely on. Um, I mean, maybe even second. Arsenal deserve credit for the way they're playing. I think there was a view that they were perhaps running out of momentum before the World Cup, but yesterday has, has perked them up. They've still got tough games to go. I think they've got Chelsea away next week. And I can't remember who the other game is. Away. I think Wolves away. away. Yeah. Right, OK. Um, so certainly they've got at least one tricky game and two away games before the World Cup. You still think that you still feel like City are going to win the league by 12, 15 points. And Arsenal have done enough, I think, already to prove they'll be top four. Maybe they'll even hang on for second. But beyond that, I think third is is easily gettable. Like you say, Tottenham are are not convincing. Whether they're conserving energy for, for after the World Cup, we shall see. But they even when they're winning, it doesn't feel like they're playing particularly well. Chelsea have been okay under Potter, but again, they've not doesn't feel like they've been that convincing Liverpool are having an absolute nightmare and it does it does feel like third is is definitely on I mean there's there's every possibility that United will be in the top four by by the time of the World Cup I think well they're point behind Newcastle now United have got two games where they should be looking at getting six points before the World Cup um I did look at Newcastle's fixtures yesterday but I've forgotten but they've got at least one tougher (laughs) game I think before um before the World Cup so there's every and if you'd have been told the afternoon they lost 4 0 at Brentford, they'd be in the top four by the time the season breaks for the World Cup. I don't think anyone would have believed that was possible. So, shows what a great New- turnaround is. Newcastle, sorry, Newcastle have got Southampton away, Chelsea at home before Chelsea the World Cup. That's the one, yeah. So, you know, no guarantee that they'll take six points from six. And, and that's really got to be United's target against Villa or Fulham. Fulham have been doing pretty well, but they should be winning those sort of games. So, yeah, I think, you know, top four now is is the minimum target. After that Brentford game, you know, I think we were all pretty pessimistic about their chances of doing it. Um, the turnaround has been impressive. They've been helped by the fact that, certainly by Liverpool's struggles, by the fact that others are looking unconvincing, but they are winning games. And maybe, you know, maybe those other teams are saying United are looking unconvincing because yeah. they they are at times. They've, they're playing so much better against the bigger teams, their big six rivals, than they are against... The others, I mean, the wins against West Ham, Everton, Southampton and Leicester have all been by one goal. Leicester was relatively comfortable, but in all those other games, they've had to survive, you know, almost sieges in, in the final quarter or so of the game. And, and Everton and West Ham both finished with wild celebrations that they managed to hang on, really. And that's, you know, that, that's a sign of the team spirit as we come back to it. But it would be it would be nice for them if in one of these two games before the World Cup, they could actually win a game relatively comfortable rather than hanging on for dear life and, and getting a bit desperate at the end yeah and of course maybe when we're looking at this, fr- this block of free fixtures for the World Cup as well West Ham at home was probably the trickier 
one out of you know Villa and, and Fulham away. So we shall see what what United can do in, in the response in the weeks ahead. But as we mentioned, a big game against Sociedad in the Europa League on Thursday night. Eric Ten Hag has hammered home the importance of trying to win Group E. It would mean United avoid that playoff double header against the Champions League side next February. Samuel, we know United will go full strength. Uh, I guess the only sort of implications on the team news would be whether Anthony is back and if he'll, and if Lindelof has recovered from his illness. He did say yesterday that he hoped Anthony would be back, uh, but when he was pressed on what what the injury was, it was it was quite comedic. Um, he, he just said leg, and so there, there was and, and offered a smile, and there was a fair bit of laughter at that. I think I think Guardiola apparently one of the guys was saying he um, he was as specific as saying someone had a leg injury uh, once upon a time as well. But but Ten Hag has has been quite opaque on. Uh, injury bulletins in general, I still don't know what's up with Aaron Wambasaka about eight weeks on from him being listed on the bench and then rocking up in the director's box. And he trained he trained last week and he wasn't in either of the match day squads. And Ten Hag said yesterday that you need two good right backs because we have a lot of games, which I, I certainly, and I, th- I think others... Um, interpreted that as being possibly a slight dig at Wambasaka or the very need for at least a, another available right back because United don't have don't have one at the moment at all and, and Dallow's having to play a lot of games. Uh, I suspect given Maguire's got 90 minutes under his belt, he'll keep his place. That's yeah, that's the unfortunate thing with Lindelof and th- that's that's what happens in football. I mean, people could have, there were questions being asked in September. You know, do you think? United will sell Maguire next summer. I mean, it's a completely pointless thing to even address because so much is going to happen between now and then. He's been out injured four weeks and he's got fit again and he's got back into the team pretty much straight away because two other centre-backs, one's injured and and one's unwell. So uh, I suspect Maguire will will continue with with Martinez. Martinez is now done to start because he was taken off at half-time last week. It's, it's, it's going to be a strong team, as it always has been from, from Ten Hag in the Europa League. The, the one time that he he rotated, and it was reasonable rotation, uh, they, they lost, and they lost in very strange circumstances as well to a penalty that should never have been given as a penalty. So um, I, I still think it's quite a tall order for them to win by two clear goals. They've, they've literally only ever won by two clear goals in Spain with a capacity crowd, uh, you know that that Granada game last year—it's extremely unmemorable for a number of reasons. But the only time they've done it properly, so to speak, was was against Deportivo twenty years ago. They, their record in Spain, in in general, is not the best. Uh, if you, if you look down the, uh, the, the their uh, their track record dating back to the fifties, so um, although although Sociedad are obviously not among the elite teams in in Spain, they they have won at Old Trafford. Uh, they're, they're no mugs and. If United do win by by two clear goals, that would be a hell of a triumph. But most of their wins this season have been by the odd goals. So it's as I said, it's it's a tall order whether Anthony's back, whether he's not back, and and, and whoever Ten Hag actually plays. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the the teams in Spain and maybe aren't at the elite. We saw in Celta Vigo last time United won the Europa League how close they ran United as well. Ty, in terms of the actual match itself, then do you? Do you have faith in United that they can get the job done, that they can finish top of the group? Um, yeah, I think it's you know it's 
eminently plausible that they could beat a team like Real Sociedad by two clear goals. You know, Real Sociedad are a reasonable La Liga team, but you know they're not they're not top four. Um, not sure how they're doing this year, but I, I don't think they're putting up I'm any googling it right now. Particularly good stuff. They are fifth. They're fifth in the table. Right. Okay. So they're not not a top four team. Just. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's not a it's not a great league, really. You look at the yeah. you look at their teams in the Champions League, and, and they're all out bar bar Real Madrid. It's not it's not a high quality league, and Real Sociedad are not on a par with Barcelona or Atletico Madrid, really. So it's, it's not severe in the bottom three. Uh, I've just just discovered. And so... I knew they were struggling. I didn't know they were doing that badly though. I mean, they, they signed Alex Tellers and just... just look yeah. <laughs> well, we've been billing that as a possible horrible tie in February, haven't we? Severe two legs. But yeah, yeah. When maybe, he, maybe, not, yeah. maybe not, maybe not. A nice trip and an easy win, possibly. Yeah. Maybe Van der Beek will play after all. Uh, <laughs> quite possibly. But I think that's, you know, that's the attraction of going there and winning by two goals. Because when you think United have got two Premier League games as well to rearrange, you throw in a Europa League playoff in February against potentially very good opposition. You throw in progression in the Carabao Cup, you throw in a few rounds of the FA Cup, and you're at a point where there isn't actually any room for those two Premier League games to be played. So I think if they yeah. if they could get if they could get the group one, I think at least one of them would probably be played in that February window. Um yeah. so it is gonna yeah. be it's gonna be pretty essential really for them that, that they do. And if they don't and they do keep progressing in cups, you can see a scenario come the end of the week once they've had maybe games postponed if they reach go deep in the FA Cup when they, they might be playing a, a Tuesday or a Thursday one week or, or something like that. So I think there is definite value in going for there for the win. And it is, you know, the way they're playing it is eminently plausible. They could win that game by two clear goals. But I think Sociedad are a pretty defensive side. So they're going to have to play. They have to play pretty well to get it done. So quickly for both of you, will it happen? United top of the group, yes or no? I think they might win, but not... Not not by two two clear goals, so no, and hopefully we get a, a nice glamour tie in, in an unglamorous competition. Yeah, I, I don't think they'll do it either. I think maybe maybe a draw. Well, that's the positive we all wanted on our Monday, wasn't it? Wow, thanks for that, guys. Um, <laughs> we we want we want Bas, we want Frankie goes to Hollywood Tramstock yeah. uh, headlines. That's, that's <laughs> Bas, bring well, Barcelona. Yeah, there's probably a good chance of that happening, actually. Uh, so, Ty, Samuel, thank you very much for joining us today on the Manchester is Red podcast. Thank you, Rich. Thank you, Rich. And as always, thank you very much wherever you are in the world. As always, please do leave a like and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Take care, and I'll see you again next time.